We don't often think about the voiceover artists behind TV and radio commercials, cartoons, documentaries, drama and video games. But they're actual people, most of them. I'll be interviewing some of the very best to get an inside track on life behind the microphone. I'm Simon Lipson and this is Your Popping. I'm delighted to welcome this week to Your Popping, actress, comedian, impressionist and of course top, top voiceover artist, it's Kate O'Sullivan. How are you, Kate? Shucks. <laughs> uh, I'm very well, thanks. Um, uh, you know, after our technical mare to get <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, I should just say we, we were supposed to start this about 45 minutes ago, but we've been faffing around <laughs> with microphones. I've of... been faffing around, not <laughs> you. It's my end. But the pair of us, like, we, we could put all of our technical knowledge on a post-dish stamp, I'm afraid. It's, uh, it's like that. However... Um, it's great to have you on. You were one of my guests on our sister podcast, Making an Impression. You uh, treated us to lots of great impressions. And I think I'm right in saying impressions were your way into voiceover work. Yes, they were, absolutely. Uh, I don't think I would have dived in in the way that I did. Um, I, I did Who Do You Do? And that was uh, 33 shows in 11 days that we recorded. And I hadn't been near impressions for, uh, oh God, many years before doing Who Do You Do? And so I had all these scripts for all these different celebrities. And a friend of mine sort of said, oh my God, you could actually, you know, make a tape. And they put me in touch with a few people and, and that was it. So, so I had, um, Diana was my sort of main impression um, at the beginning of the tape. So it was really somebody hearing your versatility with voices and accent saying, come on, you, you really could be making a few quid, putting some voices down, you know, for products. Did you submit a demo? Was that the first, first port of call? Yeah, that's right. I, so I, I went into Crocodile Bob from Crocodile Music. I think he worked at Magmasters at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was so patient with me because I, I really didn't have a clue. Uh, other than being a being a turn, being a performer, but being in the studio is a quite a different art. Mm. Uh, so he was very patient with the popping and clicking and God knows what else I produced. But we got a cassette together and that was sent off and uh, very quickly things started moving. And that goes back what I think you told me 24 years? Yeah, 24 years. Wow. <gasps> it's an interesting way in. I because I've spoken to a lot of voice people who have come in, you know, they're actors or perhaps they've come in from, you know, I had somebody who was very technical, uh, Claire Reeves, and she came at voiceovers from that direction, not from a performing perspective. But a lot of people have taken training uh, from people like Nancy Wolfson and Nicola Redman, who was also a guest on the show. Like you, I was an impressionist. I like to think I vaguely still am. And I, that's how I got it. So I, I knew somebody who was running a small voiceover agency and she'd done a bit of stand-up with me way back. I became one of her first, first voices and I was Mr. Versatile going out to do all kinds of accents and voices and learning on the job. And that's, I guess, how you did it because you know, we talk about popping and clicking and delivery and you know how do we actually do this job? I guess you were learning 
you know, with, with every session. Very much so. Yeah, it really was hit the ground running. My very first session was with the fabulous Raj at Grand Central. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Weller TV. And it was an ISDN. And clients were in the room and in Germany. And um, I sat there behind the mic expectantly and realized that Raj was talking to me, but I couldn't kind of hear what he was saying. And he pointed at his head. (laughs) Oh, but the can's on. Sorry. Yes. Yes. And um, I felt really exposed and stupid. And uh, I'm, they, they made a script change and I was like, do, do you have a pencil? Does anyone have a And he was like, there's a pot in front of you uh, with our branding all over it. And um, yeah, so that was, as you say, it was literally hoofing it. I, it was learning as I went. Did you find that you were taking a lot of cues from the creatives? Because this is something we've talked about a lot on Your Popping, the creatives coming at you with all kinds of, suggestions how how easily did you find it to to, particularly in your early days to deal with stuff coming at you that perhaps you didn't make all that much sense or perhaps militated against what you would regard as your natural and best read I guess being such a beginner there's a humility that comes with it really so you are willing to make it work whatever way is best and if people are suggesting that you need to be steered in another direction and i i realize looking back at all the sessions it's very much an experimental thing uh, no one knows if this is going to work everyone is just feeling their way through it it's not set in stone and i think most creatives are very flexible actually mm. i think the problem comes when when there's a, a convention on the other side of the glass who will disagree and perhaps um yeah if the, the chain of command within a company is perhaps the most significant obstacle to your having a good session or not and for the creatives too because if you've got the person that needs to make the decisions there in the room with you all it's great it's brilliant that's another interesting uh, aspect of voice work isn't it that the more people in the control room or on the line. You know, you have the client here, you've got this creative here and another creative in Germany and somebody else had a thought in Brazil and they're all on the line and chipping in. It then becomes quite a complicated exercise. You talked about the humility of the beginner and I know exactly what you mean by that because when I first went into the studio as a voiceover, I'll just completely do whatever you tell me because you know better than I do. (laughs) But there's, there comes a point when you kind of think, well, you know, I know how to do this now. How does that affect things? You know, here you are 24 years into your career. You're the voice of all kinds of things. So you really know your way around a voiceover studio. Are you still humble or do you think there's, <laughs> have you, earned, I was going to say, have you earned the right to be, to be a bit more, look, I know what I'm doing, shut up out there. Oh gosh, uh, no. I mean, every job is a fresh start in, in, in my eyes. But yes, as I say, if, if I'm hungry, then I find, yeah, I'm, I'm very much less patient. Uh, if it's been back to back and you're running from studio to studio, not that I would ever express it because that's just not professional and it's not the way I am, but internally it will be less enjoyable. But 
mostly you never know what someone's going to suggest to you mm. that will actually lead you in the direction you you need to go in so uh, you know obviously sometimes you get some really dreadful pieces of direction like emphasize every word that mm. has been said to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, uh, but mostly that comes from inexperience. And so yeah. that's fine. Whatever. You know, we'll, we'll somehow, we'll all get there together somehow. I like to emphasize every word. It's a 45 second commercial. Every word. <laughs> Bring it up. Yeah. Sell on every word. Um, that's, that's beauty. The other one is, you know, faster but slower. And Yes, yes. But don't you find that there is a kind of truth within that? You know, one does become very sensitive to use of time and milliseconds and frames as you go along. And, and the illusion of being fast while being slow, it, or slower, shall we say, mm. it's an actual thing. And, and that sweet spot, these are all sort of very strange. I find it quite mysterious sometimes how it comes together you can be struggling away for about three or four takes thinking, I'm not, I'm really not getting in the middle of this and, and absorbing all the notes that I've been given in the room. And then suddenly, for whatever reason, it just comes out and take five and there you are. You, you've, you've, you've got there. It's, it's, it's interesting, as you say, there's a sort of alchemy about this and when, you, yeah, when it all yeah. clicks. I, I was talking to, to Claire Reeves about this, that the the idea that voiceover work, it's its not rocket science, but we, we concluded it's very close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, tell me, tell me. Well, because, well, perhaps not. But things like where you've got um, a 30-second ad and they you you give a good read, you think you've, you've raced through it a bit, lost a bit of, you know, lost a bit of performance, but you've, you've raced through it and then they come through on the headphone and say, yeah, Simon, that was 34 we're going to need to chop four off that. How are we getting? You think, shit, I've already gone as fast as I can go. But eventually you do find a way, don't you? There's, you know, instinctively you can find the bits where you can speed yeah. up and where you can lose stuff, you know, and, and you know the bits to, to play up. So it, there's, a, there's a bit more to it than just sitting there reading some stuff out. You sent me an email, which, is, which amused me. You talked about the the kind of life change from being the performer earning you know a few scraps job by job to suddenly being a voiceover artist yeah yeah i mean yeah the income i i, I mean i guess i don't know what quadrupled maybe more uh, and and uh, hmrc came looking for me didn't quite believe what my accountant had put in front of them <laughs> so that yeah i was vetted everything every receipt yeah had to be thoroughly forensically examined. <laughs> there, there is huge money to be made in voice work. It's but people tend to think that every job is paying 15, 20 grand, 50 grand. It, it isn't, of course. Most of what you do is you're churning stuff out and it's a studio fee and a bit of bit of usage and you know, but occasionally you do you do get those. I know when we talk about Maybelline, which obviously you've been doing for 16 years? Well, I, I stopped doing Maybelline about eight years ago. Right. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd been their voice for 16 years. Yeah. So we're talking, we're talking national TV campaigns, which typically are extremely well 
remunerated and yes. you're doing that year on year were you contracted or was this well it, they were trying to it there yeah by, by the end it was like we need to put you on an annual sort of uh, a salary if you like and and I, I don't know why it didn't it didn't seem to to come to anything I don't know quite why it didn't yeah that that was a that was a fabulous gig um, yeah. obviously they wanted it to be American but they wanted it to be recognizably Englishly American if that makes any sense. So, yeah. for instance, uh, satin liquid, uh, new satin liquid. They didn't want satin, satin. So I had to say satin liquid. Yeah. So yeah, it it was it was quite an interesting brief. Moving on, you again. You sent me some uh, lovely information ahead of our chat today. And you say you loved working with N. Rytel. Listeners who don't know N. Rytel, he was um, an actor who, about 25, 30 odd years ago, really became the voice. He was working eight hours a day doing eight different voiceover sessions. And he was the go-to guy. He was a bit of an impressionist, a voice guy. But he also had a bit of a reputation as I understand it, for being a bit awkward, a bit prima donna-ish, but you you didn't find that. No, no, but I think it's that sort of male-female thing, right? I guess, you know, I'm I'm working with him. I'm not going to take any work away from him. We're working together where we're, we're sort of... Uh, so perhaps he was more relaxed. I, I don't know. I mean, w- whenever I worked with N, I was just in awe, really, of the brilliance, the uh, ability to make it truthful, to adapt to whatever millisecond needed to be shaved off or added on without making any perceptible, though there was no harm done to the read. I admired his skill. I admired his acting. And I think for me, that's always the most sort of intoxicating performer, Mm. uh, impressionists that act or actors that do impressions, there is a sort of a truthfulness or, or something that, that they kind of carry with them. And, and also he was just so brilliantly efficient. I'm, and at nine o'clock in the morning, you would meet N and he would be ready to go. Yeah. That's it. He was, I used to tell him, you, you're like a bullet firing in a box. Yeah, it's like this, this incredible energy about him. Yeah. And he'd be the same at the end of the day. And he, yeah, yeah, I just admire, I, I admire him hugely, yeah. I once did a voiceover where he was another voice. There were the two or three voices on it. And I was in the studio first. And all I remember from that session was everyone saying, and I'll be here in a minute, and this kind of <laughs> frozen terror. Everybody was terrified. And I was too. Oh, <laughs> but, damn. But I, maybe the pressure because he's so brilliant. And... He was eccentric. He he didn't do sort of small talk, networking and all of that. He was his, he is his own person. Yeah. And take as you find sort of thing. And But I guess it is that sort of fact when someone is so on the money, so good at what they do, that is really daunting. I think also the, the fact that he does have uh, a reputation for being his own man and being, you know, fairly difficult taskmaster once he's in the studio. The fact that he was booked and booked and booked and booked 
uh, you know, from nine o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night is testimony to the fact that yeah. you still, you know, people were still bringing him into the job regardless. So obviously a master of the craft. It's changed though, hasn't it? You know, over time. I know. I know all those lovely lunches that we used to have when we'd... <laughs> There'd be lots of us booked and people didn't have smartphones and laptops. So nobody had any projects, no treatments to write. Mm -hmm. Everyone just hung out in Soho together. And of course, we had our favorite watering holes. Mine was the uh, the patio at Space Studios. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just heaven. And everyone's like, um, would you like a drink or anything? Or would you like some lunch? Or <laughs> It's just like... This is heaven. Yeah. Having been an actor where you have to bring your own water, practically bring your own chair to the drafty church hall for the audition. They're not even paying you for the audition. No. Yes, it was like being admitted to some incredible cocktail party. And of course, it was a smaller cast of characters in those days, wasn't it? Going, I started probably just a bit before you, actually. And in those days, you know, there weren't that many people actually doing it it didn't it wasn't the thing that everybody yearned to do and now every actor every impressionist everybody who can speak <laughs> wants to be a voiceover or is a voiceover <laughs> there was a little bit what was that um it was kind of filthy lucre wasn't there yeah there was a kind of a perception that you were well, possibly they're, they're right actually in many ways you're selling out most often you are you are lauding a product that you've never tried, right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I can see why why some actors would kind of, it, it's particularly if you're a satirist, you, you have to kind of keep your nose clean, really. I, d I don't personally feel any sort of judgment about it. I just, I love the work. Of course, I love the remuneration. <laughs> There's a saying, isn't there, with actors, uh, the one thing an actor wants more than anything else in the world is a job. And when he's got a job, the one thing he wants more than anything in the world is a day off. Yes. And voiceovers <laughs> give you that in one hour. You have the thrill of the job and you have the day off. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's so true. Look, often we come home, you know, my wife will say, well, what have you done today? Oh, I did a voiceover. Uh, an hour up in town. Um, I'm shattered. I'm shattered, honestly. <laughs> I, had to, I went for a coffee before. I had lunch after. I mean, honestly. Then I had to travel. I had to travel in and out. What a nightmare job. Nightmare job. So there we are. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think this thing about selling out, I think that's changed a lot, hasn't it? There was a time, as you say, when celebs didn't necessarily want to be seen as doing something as artistically barren as selling some product um, my agents you know at one time had me and a few other unknowns with decent voices on her books and now she's got every star you've ever dreamt of and they want to do it they and they it's because they're stars that they can charge ridiculous fees and it's because they're stars that those who make the products want them you, you, I know you worked with Graham Norton. Sorry, it took me a half an hour to remember the name. Graham Norton, you mentioned <laughs> Graham Norton. Yeah. And I remember doing a, a voiceover where I had to emulate his voice and knowing that, you know, if he took the job, he would earn about 50,000 times more, yeah. more money than I would. 
talking about working with famous people, you've, you've sent me a list here and it's, it's, a, it's a stunning list of glitterati. What's your, been your experience of working on the whole with famous people? And, and listen, by all means, spill the beans. Let's, you know, any dirty, nasty tittle-tattle about <laughs> anybody you've worked with is more than welcome on this show. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Chris Tarrant pushed me over, so I, I fell into the side of the booth. Yeah, we, we were having a laugh, yeah. and he it, he didn't realise. I think the chair was at a funny angle or something, and so yeah, he get, he shoved me. He was like, "No!" and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the whole chair went completely, and I was like, "Yeah," hit my head on the side of the booth. And, but um, yeah, that aside, no, I think. Oh, um, it's uh, you really want something nice and juicy, don't you? And horrible. And come on, but I don't have it. I oh. really don't. Honestly, they, they're what can I say? I, I, I've loved most sessions that I've done. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's like what's what's not to like, really. Have you ever found that, that well known people who have drafted in to a gig because they're well known actually not that skillful at the at the art of a voice overing. Presenters are brilliant, generally. Mm. Just occasionally you have the odd, um, maybe younger actor that sort of tries to, that perhaps they feel it too deeply. And the words are sort of, you know, this quest is your destiny. All right, that, those are quite heavy, sort of, that's quite a heavy line. But mm. um, they want you, you know, to be sort of lighthearted and not, you, you don't need to feel it. Um, and yeah. There will be, this quest is your destiny. And the rhythms are somehow not, they're not reassuringly casual enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's the only thing I've sort of noticed. But presenters understand time and you have to go to the next thing. And it's a more extroverted job. Yeah. And I think that as a voiceover, your, your job is, particularly with the end line, is to reassure, sign it all off, and it's an extroverted kind of. I, I, I'm tying myself up in knots here, really, but I, I, you know, you you can't feel it too deeply. There's a difference, isn't there, between let's say, you know, selling somebody a, a you know, you're trying to sell a, a reassuringly positive product, you know, a hair dye. Uh, something that makes you look younger, something like that. So it's a it's a very positive, enthusiastic, but you need you know you need to be authoritative and warm and all those bits and pieces. And I don't think you can particularly emote a line like because you're worth it. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't lend itself to acting. It lends itself to selling, really. And I want to ask you about that because, because you're worth it. Because I know that you've revoiced some L'Oreal adverts, which is, and this is, you know, very much their thing, isn't it? Because you're worth it. And you, yeah. but you've revoiced some very famous actresses. Tell me about that. I suppose I, I was doing it for sort of 15 years. And so at the very beginning, it was people like Heather Locklear mm -hmm. and uh, Jennifer Aniston, Claudia Schiffer. At a certain point, Claudia Schiffer's people uh, got wind uh, the fact that she was being revoiced yeah. and the sort of the direction was be very similar, but without 
so much accent. So pull the accent right back. Yeah. And so therefore she was sounding really very unlike herself and yeah, fair play, you know, she, her, she saw it, her people, and that was it. So uh, she was outlawed. Um, but there were a couple of French models and one was particularly tricky because it was a lip sync. So her mouth said, because you're worth it. Because you're worth it. And uh, that was a nightmare to lip sync. That really <laughs> Because you're worth it. Because you're, because you're worth it. <laughs> I mean, I think we got away with it in the end, but war. Worth it. Um, but when, I, 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 when you see the, the outtake, oh God, what's it called when you've got all the takes all together? Uh, all the takes. <laughs> all the takes. All right, there we go. <laughs> And uh, so, but they're, they're sitting there and they are doing it in so many different languages. Yeah. So, you know, although it's kind of like, I go, oh, no, because you're worth it, you know, but actually she was doing it in Portuguese. She was doing it in Spanish, Italian. She was doing it in, uh, well, her native language. They're, they're kind of, they're quite impressive. When you're dragged in to do the voice of somebody famous, how, how much... Because you're a great impressionist, but are you spending a lot of time doing your Jennifer Aniston? So that when you turn up, you sound like Jennifer Aniston, or, or are they not looking for that degree of accuracy? Does it not matter? Because you can see her and people make an assumption. I think you're right. I mean, of course, the visual helps you, doesn't it? But sort of like, you know, the, the, she would sort of uh, have her really kind of like that thing that she has, you know, that sort of slightly, I'm kind of a bit annoyed, but at the same time, it's really cute. Um, <laughs> she, would, she would have all of that going on. And there are so many elements, aren't there? It's like they've recut the picture because somebody doesn't like the pack shot there. So that's reduced the amount of time that you've got to say that particular word on that see and say frame. Yeah. So all these elements come together to sometimes defeat you with the impression. It can be a little bit sort of uneven and bumpy, but it works as a whole. Yeah. It's just that question of all the elements of the picture, see and say, the time in which you have to do it, what her mouth happens to be doing, clarity. I mean, although we laugh and say that it isn't really work at all, it's very laser-like work, isn't it, while you're doing it? If you've just got the one voiceover a day, that's heaven because you, you can kind of relax, can't you, for the rest of the time and you just you have to give everything while you're in that one-hour session, all that precision. But when it's all day, five days a week, then it's a tough job. Absolutely right. And you, you can start losing touch with what you're doing. You start just looking at the words and you they become a little bit cobbledygook, you don't know, and you're not really sure what you're doing. It's um, yeah. bizarre rocket science. You know, as I say, you've, you've got to have that... You have that ability. Have you done any revoicing for films and TV for, for famous actresses yeah. and actors? Oh, you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I was talking to Duncan Wisby for. Um, oh, Duncan. He's brilliant, and this was on making an impression podcast, and he was telling me he wasn't allowed to name names. Ah, oh, but I think he did. Morgan Freeman, um, <laughs> which was. <laughs> Which was interesting. I mean, look, I'm, I'm just guessing because he, he wasn't specific. Can you recall any of those jobs and the voices you've had to try and emulate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're asking for the name. Sure. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even asking for the impressions. Come on. Oh, okay. So uh, one of them was uh, Charlize Theron, and uh, she's kind of quite different. Uh, her her range. Her she's far deeper uh, than than my sort of my range. But when you're being close, Mike, and I think it was uh, you must find the magical armor and use it to defeat your grandfather, the evil Moon King. This quest is your destiny. Your father was a legendary warrior who fought bravely to protect this land from evil. Yeah, I mean, it was just purely for the trailer. Yeah. And when you watch that back, are you kind of listening out? That's me. That's me. I don't think I ever saw it. You know, so much of so much of what we do is just ephemeral, isn't it? Really, you're there, you're present for that moment, for that hour. You give it your all, and then you never hear or see any of it again. I'm, That's so true. Yeah, and also sometimes you hear a thing and you think, "Oh shit, that was me." <laughs> I wasn't listening hard enough. Well, I missed it all now. Ah. You remember in the olden days when you used to have to have an equity contract? Yeah, of course. To to say that you'd got the job. Yeah. So it was like you'd hear it on air and you were like, God, I, don't, I haven't had the contract yet to sort of validate it. And yeah. it's just amazing to think how we all functioned in those days, really, pre-digital. Absolutely true. Let me ask you, I, I was talking to Melissa Sindon, who's a brilliant voiceover artist in the, the first show in the series of your popping. And she told me a lovely story about working with Hugh Laurie. Uh, specifically that she was doing a radio play with him and he turned up in his motorcycle leathers and she got a, a little bit uh, a little bit flustered and hot hot around the collar and i know you've you've worked with him and you've you put in your email to me heavenly session mm-hmm. uh, come on I, I, I don't, you may not want to give me all the details of that it was just one of those dreamy sort of days and it started so badly I was at the BBC and it was over. It had overrun, and I had to get to Angel Sound on Floral Street. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. All I knew that it was uh, Hamlet Cigar. That's uh, it's a radio for Hamlet cigars. Blah, blah, blah. The, here's the time. I don't think I had a mobile phone at that time. Uh, anyway, so I made the stupid decision to get a taxi rather than travel by tube because I thought, well, Covent Garden, oh, I've got to change underground and it's going to be like, I'm going to be even later. So if at least if I'm overground, you know, and it was a disaster. It was a nightmare. Bayswater Road was just tail to tail. Anyway, so I arrived about half an hour late and my taxi driver, he knew that I was so stricken in such a bad way, he'd written me a note to say... <laughs> It's not her fault. <laughs> the traffic was so bad, you see, because I felt I just couldn't walk in there and just be like, I, 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 I kind of, I need, I needed proof, you know, that. I, um, Certified by the cabbie. And yeah, exactly. And Hugh Laurie was there, and it was like a room full of people, and it was just, you know, that awful thing of like everyone's. They've all talked about their children and, you know, where they live and what they're going to do. And there was nothing left really for them to talk about. They were just waiting. But he was so brilliant. He like leapt over and, and he's, I, I, I showed them and he was like, 
oh my goodness, tell me about this guy. Tell me about this cab driver. He sounds amazing. And then he said, what did he sound like? And then he started to do the, you know, the voice of the cab driver, reading out the note. And he said, wow, that's so, that's so brilliant of him. And, oh, you know, and anyway, we got down and we started doing the scripts. There were quite a few scripts, I think. And um, they, then we got to that delicious point of the session, you know, where they say, Okay, that's great. Well, we're just going to have a little discussion. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Yes, of course. And so we talked amongst ourselves. And then there was a piano in the booth. Ah. So he played piano and I, and I did my Billie Holiday impression. And we just, wow. we just had the most divine time. Um, I suppose it was about three seconds, uh, three hours rather, that we were holed up in Angel Sound in the basement there. And then we parted on the on the sort of the um, the exit, and he said he looked up and, and he said, "Ah, the incipient skies, <laughs> it was pouring with rain." And I had no idea what he meant. <laughs> I had to look it up later. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. And he blew this great big kiss, and he walked backwards with the two arms lifted up. And turned around and went, and it was just like, yeah, it was, it was, it was like a movie. It was lovely. He saved my bacon because I, I, they were really trying not to be angry. That's so true, of course, that business when you're, you're in the booth. I've done a few radio plays, and I, I do remember turning up to a radio play, and I'd gone on my mo- moped, as I used to have a moped in those days. And I turned up, and it was a bitter, bitter cold morning, and I was miles away in Acton or somewhere for a BBC play. Morwenna Banks had written it, and she was in it, and directing it, and all kinds of famous actors, and I'm just a bloke turning up to do a few voices. And I turned up frozen, absolutely frozen solid, and I didn't stop shaking for the entire day. Oh, no! I remember doing the, well, I think partly nerves as well, because I'm not really an actor, and I felt slightly... That everyone in it was famous, except me. You're the only one you didn't know. I'm the only one I didn't know exactly, and it was it was a horrible day in a way. Well, nice day, but a horrible day if that makes any sense. You also got a a story about Brian Blessed, which won't surprise people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we 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 were. both in separate studios, but shared the the glass in the middle. Yeah. And he was obviously having to deliver a Brian Blessed. And we kind of had a pause between takes our side. And we thought, oh, we'll just watch Brian Blessed standing there doing his magnificent thing. And literally what we heard was... <laughs> through the glass. <laughs> and he, you know, he looked like he was going to you know, a major artery was going to burst. He was really, and it was extraordinary. And we all sort of stopped what we were doing and looked at each other and the power. um, Yeah. (laughs) To those who haven't been in a studio environment, it's worth pointing out that these are soundproof to within an inch of their lives, (laughs) these these rooms. And for any voice to come booming through, uh, that's a loud voice. Yeah, yeah, really. It was, yeah, that Pink Floyd song. I don't know whether they're going. What about uh, when you're working in the studio? There are certain things that irritate voiceovers. I mean, for me, it's it's a, a creative who keeps saying to me things like, "Read it like this: the the car is a very good car," and I'm going, but, but 
that I can't even do that voice. And you're and you do it in the voice that you're supposed to do it in, you know, which is somewhere down here, you know, really <laughs> that kind of authoritative selling <laughs> voice, you know, voice. man voice. And they just can't hear you saying it in the right way. And I've only ever once lost my rag in a studio in 30 years. Um, and that was with a particular guy. And I won't, I won't recount the story because I've already probably done it on nine episodes of your popping because um, <laughs> it still annoys me. Oh, but, clearly. Um, oh, yeah. But <laughs> the rest of the time, I'm extremely courteous and well-behaved and do whatever I'm told. What, what are the things in a professional studio that really irritate you oh um i suppose being handed uh, a storyboard rather than a script mm. because obviously if you've got a 20 second or 30 second script and it's on a storyboard with all the pictures the layout is really nightmarish isn't it for the eye to follow yeah. each the way it's set out with sort of six anyway so that that's just a that's just a niggle uh, my heart always sinks and i i sort of spend time writing it out myself you know, as a, as a, as a sort of a, a running script would look. Um, but I suppose the main thing I notice is um, when people are rude to sound engineers. And, yeah. you know, it, it staggers me. And it's often because people are nervous and they are under pressure. And so they'll say things like, oh, I can't hear. Sorry, I can't hear. Like the sound engineer is, is totally responsible for that and, and yeah. kind of accusatory thing. Um, yeah, is, is it, the sound engineer is your, your main ally in the room. Yes. Very often the person that gets you in the room, the producer says to the sound engineer, who do you recommend for this? I've got this brief and, you know, who do you like working with? Without the sound engineer, I, I don't know how they do a, a full day's work, sound engineering, because yeah. they are, they've got the banter going with the clients and the producers and the agency and the account directors. And then they've got the voiceovers in the booth to manage. And then they've got the technical process as well. And they never stop. You know, the voiceovers get a break, talk amongst yourselves. The, the clients start eating their lunch. The engineer's there, tap, 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 tap. Um, they're like wizards i think uh because they can turn i miss them so much and i I love it when they go you've done a few takes and they go right simon take take five and you sit there and you're faffing about drawing doodling on the pad or drinking your water whatever it is in the booth and then it all comes back in your ears with the music and the other bits and pieces and the terms and conditions and all that Mm -hmm. stuff you know that's brilliant you know But as you say, it's a great observation that because they're doing 50 things at once uh, and, and they're kind of keeping everybody sweet. Yep. But when I hear the sound engineer talking to me and perhaps give me a little direction, oh, Simon, that was great. Can you just do it a bit quick? I feel in safe hands like that. Yeah. And as soon as perhaps you might get a creative chipping in, you think, oh, shit, well, now where are we going? <laughs> There's a, a kind of seat of your pants thing with a creative Sometimes, not always, because usually they're very good, but sometimes you'd get that thing where, oh, oh, no, everything was okay, and now it's all going to hell. I once um, I had a brief uh, on the script that I was handed. It said, brief, read needs to be upbeat, varied and uplifted, but not hysterical and not monotonous. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Take it away. <laughs> Don't be hysterical or monotonous. 
<laughs> it's like you wonder how did that how did you sort of not think that I would read that as well? It's one of those kind of overzealous kind of creative directions, isn't it? And they... or maybe it was from the account team. Who knows? Or maybe it was from the client. Maybe it was from the client. I mean, because so often, don't you, you, the client, the agency people are going, we really, really want this first version. This is our preferred version. Yeah. But they want... There needs to be more smile in the voice. There needs to be more energy. They want more pack shot. They want it to be brighter. They want more titles on this bit so that people know what it is. And they're like, please don't make that one work as well. You know, <laughs> that they don't yeah. often say that. But that's the kind of the subtext, isn't it? Like, Absolutely right. But, but I, you know, as we say, we're, we're, we're hired voices, aren't we? And that's we're there to, to do their bidding in the end. And if they want 50 different reads and 50 different styles and speeds, you, well, you do it, don't you? You rattle it out and let them pick from that smorgasbord. Is that the right word? Um, <laughs> yes, you know, if, if they want to take one word out of each read, you know the studio engineer can probably do it. And I know, poor studio engineer. You know, you just think, oh, God, why do you lay that on them? You know, do you know what? I must get a studio engineer on your popping. That's, that's Yes. I'm making that note as we speak. Oh, my God, you'll get some really good juicy gossip. Well, I know a few, particularly at Grand Central, where they're, they're great. They're lovely. They're yeah, all lovely yeah. down there. and, yeah, and they are. Uh, Stories to tell. Come on, bring them on. <laughs> What's the absolutely weirdest job you've ever had to do oh there's so many aren't there really i mean one can only choose the one that leaps to mind first but i think when phil cornwall and i we were the voice for these weird little puppets for Vauxhall corsa we had about a year of being in a room together shouting come on come on come on come on come on that was it Every two weeks or so, it seemed, they would get us to sort of voice these puppets, and that's all they ever said was, come on. Are there any words you stumble on? You know, if you see it coming up in a script, I, I see digital in a script, and I just go cold. Fortunately, digital is, is okay, yeah, because you, you said this in your email to me about, you know, things that I might discuss. Um, and genuinely, it's just whatever sometimes within a script – it's the layout of the combination of a particular number of words. And yeah. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. I think I, th I had one terrible session where I had to say 5th of September. And it just, I couldn't, I just could not 5th of September. 5th of September, 5th of, 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 it was just dreadful. But I don't think I've ever had a problem with it since. Terms and conditions. Oh. It's a bit nasal, can't it? Conditions. That's condi horrible. Yeah. Condi conditions, conditions. I can't say the and and then say the, the C of conditions. So I go terms and conditions. Terms and conditions. No, hang on. That's not it. Oh, that's a good one. Terms and conditions. See, if you like, if you lean on the and, conditions is easy. All these years. <laughs> I've had a lovely studio engineer saying to me, do it very slowly and I'll speed it up. Yes. <laughs> terms and conditions apply. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. That's a great one, isn't it? The dates one. I often get that when I do car adverts. It will be the special offer from the 26th of February to the 30th oh. of February. Oh, no. Can we, can we do that again? How often do we get American dates now? Yeah. September the 26th. And so I would, like an anorak, I sort of say, do you want it to be the English or American date? That's fine. I'll do either. But Or either. If I was American, I would say either. 
either is English. Yeah. Like schedule is American, but schedule is English. Yeah. Research. Everyone says research. And there's no such word as aluminum, by the way. So, or, or specialty for that matter. You know, there's that moment you talked about that thing where they say to you, take five, take five. And it's usually a lovely sort of a blessing, isn't it, when you take your five? But are there ever those fives where you think, shit, they don't like what I've done? Where <laughs> you get paranoid. So you watch the mouths going on the other side of the fish tank and you're thinking, God, they're, they're, they're asking if Caroline Quentin's in town. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I think the one thing that I notice as time has gone on is how much harder the agency people work. Mm. They work worryingly long hours, I have to say, I think. It's, it's got out of control. That's something that needs to be addressed because I didn't, I mean, I'm getting sessions on Saturdays and Sundays now. That used to be mm. sort of quite a different, that was only for newspapers, really, for scoops that you yeah. work at the weekend. And I did a job recently, it was a pitch, but the agency were working from uh, nine in the morning until 11 at night. Wow. Working on the pitch and sleeping in the studio and not very humorous or funny, but it's, it's just, I, I mean, it's part of the thing that's kind of altered the business. Everything has sped up so much that they forget that we're still on human time. I think it's partly to do with the fact that there are so many more outlets for stuff that agencies do. In the old days, it was a radio or a TV commercial. Nowadays, you've got you know the internet. You yeah. can stick it all, all in on 50 different platforms, and every one of those has to have its own you know, bespoke bit of script and, and yeah. it become a whole, it's a whole different industry to when you and I started out. Because, I mean, you, you had to wait for the, the, the bike to deliver the stuff to you, the bat or whatever. Whereas now yeah. at the FTP sites or, or we transfer, the decisions are expected so quickly now and the, so many mm. more versions, which I'm sure if you get your sound engineer in, the versions, I mean, that they have to deliver. But, um, and Soho has changed quite a bit, hasn't it, really? And possibly irrevocably now, given, you know, COVID and so many more people working from home studios and doing a pretty decent job of it. I mean, for for me, I've done some work from home for the radio ads, national ads and stuff like that. And it's fine. It's okay. But I actually miss that. There's a kind of a a shorthand that goes on between you in the booth and people out in the control room that helps, just informs the voice, helps things along, just just changes the the chemistry. Whereas when you're just sitting there with a pair of cans on uh, and they're in London and you're in Brighton or something, it's just a different feel, isn't it? You're not sure. You, I'm, I don't always feel I'm getting the best out of myself when I when I feel remote from it. I think as much as anything, like I said, I keep banging on about the sound engineers, but having to do a job that people train three years to do, as well as the job that you're trying to deliver as well, that adds another layer of, of sort of, of you not fully being present because perhaps, you know, the, there's a level that's not quite right or the, the mic isn't in the right position suddenly or the cable's done something or a lawn mower or something is kicked off outside but yeah to go back to studios will it will just be the most fantastic luxury 
again. It will. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm already looking forward to that. We're, we're coming to the end of uh, this very entertaining chat. I wanted to ask you, and talking about entertaining, you're an impressionist, a brilliant impressionist. You're very funny and you've done lots of comedy work. Let's not forget that you were a child star, by the way. My listeners here really need to get to uh, our interview on making an impression to get the full story. (laughs) And the question is this, do you ever get an urge when you're sitting in your booth and there's perhaps a little quiet moment, so they're all faffing about outside and you're thinking, I'm just sitting here. Do you get that urge to, I'm just going to do a funny (laughs) voice here. I'm going to entertain them. I'm going to show them how bloody funny I am. Do you ever get that? I suppress it. Uh, yeah, I, I think awareness of how expensive the time is is a, is a great inhibiting factor. And yeah, just just save it for when you've got to do your your thing, even if it's only one line. And uh, you normally would have. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes you you're doing the characters talking to each other and the end line and the terms mm. and conditions, and it's kind of. As I say, I, I've I've learned not to. <laughs> yeah, the hard bit is when you're with a friend that you fire off and you work together a lot, and that is difficult because then you're kind of you get involved in your own world, your own world together. So you've got to be kind of really quite mindful of that. I, I think we're all fine on our own, which is why I think engineers like to get you in on your own when they say, yeah. um, "Should we go in together?" Or no, no, just go in yeah you go in first and then yeah because there are there, I, my person that I need to be kept apart from is Lewis McLeod yeah we're we're, we're really we're really horrendous together <laughs> well Lewis was another guest on making an impression and and I I have told stories about working with Lewis that you can be in a booth with him in fact I was in a booth with him we were doing an advert and um I suddenly heard a train why is there a train and it was him going <laughs> Not like that. Obviously, he actually sounded like a train. And um, he, he does those things that kind of just unsettle. And This is it, you see. So when, when I'm with Lou, we'll, we'll both trade off sound, sound effects. So I did a... <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's the trouble. He, you know, when you're with someone that kind of really fires you up absolutely right well look on that note uh, we, we've sort of felt like we've paid a visit to the dog <laughs> pound there which is great this has been enormous fun oh, Kato so Sullivan thank you for joining me here on your popping and to all our listeners as ever thanks for listening and uh, tune in next time for now it's goodbye you can find your popping on all the major podcast platforms so why not subscribe and give us five stars We also have our own Your Popping Facebook page and our Twitter handle is at Voice Maestros where you can also find links to our Making an Impression podcast featuring some of the best impressionists on the planet. 